But the Cosby's up. The Australian Stock Exchange is up. Bitcoin, Ethereum are all on the up right now. So might be okay out there in some places better than others. So coming up on Back Chat, uh, we got Janice Wong and Danny Giddings getting ready to rock the airwaves. Tomorrow on Money Talk, we're going to have a special guest, uh, not one of our regulars, Angie Lau, the founder of Forecast.com, is going to come and talk crypto with us. I'd like to thank producer Christy Lai and my man Tong Wing Ming on the soundboard for helping me uh, pull the show together today. And your weather is fine and dry, cool in the morning at night with a maximum temperature around 20 degrees. The current temperature is 16 degrees Celsius and humidity 57% on Money Talk. The time is now 9.830 and now the news with Tom Warden. The government's estimate of the cost of its massive artificial islands project off Lantau has risen from the $500 billion calculated in 2018 to $580 billion. In a revised proposal, it has also changed the route of a railway linking Lantau with the new territories. Maggie Ho reports. In a paper submitted to the Legislative Council, the government added that land sale revenue from private residential and commercial sites within the Kao Yi Chao Artificial Island project will be about $750 billion. The project is expected to provide at least 190,000 residential flats, with the first batch of residents able to move in in 2033 at the earliest. In the original blueprint, authorities had wanted to construct a railway to link North Lantau to the coastal area of Tun Mun, but are now planning to connect the strategic rail link to Hong Shui Q instead, where it is then linked to the Hong Kong Shenzhen Western Railway. The paper said the project is still at the preliminary planning stage. Roundtable lawmaker Michael Tian has re- expressed reservations about the changed railway route under the Artificial Islands project, saying it neglects the transport needs of residents in the Tunmun area. Now, they are switching that alignment to actually Hong Shui Q, coming straight down and neglecting the transport need for 500,000 Tunmun residents. So I have already made it very clear that I will oppose to the end with regard to the change in this rail alignment. New government figures show that inflation is steady, with consumer prices rising 1.8% year-on-year in November. That was the same as in October. Underlying inflation, which nets out the effects of one-off relief measures, stood at 1.7% in November. Afghanistan's education ministry says women will be suspended from universities until further notice. The move is expected to take effect immediately. It further restricts women's access to formal education as they were already excluded from secondary schooling. Here's the BBC's Anbarasan Atirajan. This has come as a huge shock and dismay for thousands of Afghan female students. You know, we were aspiring to become doctors and engineers, and some of them had already returned their final exams or preparing for their final exams, and all the future now is uncertain. They remain in limbo, and the international community has strongly condemned, like the U.S., the U.K., and the U.N., have strongly reacted immediately after this announcement because this is putting the future of tens and thousands of women at stake. At one woman uh, student, she was talking to the BBC earlier, she said they destroyed the only bridge that could connect me with my future. The U.S. State Department says the Taliban authorities have released two American nationals held in detention. 
A spokesman, Ned Price, said this appeared to have been a goodwill gesture on the part of the Taliban. He said it was not the result of a prisoner swap, nor was money exchanged. Mr. Price said the unnamed detainees would soon be reunited with their loved ones and that Washington would continue to push for more detained Americans to be freed. Hundreds of thousands of Argentine football fans have gathered in Buenos Aires to salute a victory parade by their World Cup winning football team. Crowds were massed as far as the eye could see around the iconic obelisk in the city centre to cheer an open-top bus carrying Lionel Messi and the squad as they paraded through the streets. Marcela Moriarco is an Argentinian football journalist. Well, I think it's absolutely epic. I mean, there's no question about it. We've been basking in the glory of 1978 and 1986 until now, so this should keep us going for many generations. I think it's um, hugely significant for, for Lionel Messi personally, of course, and for this uh, notion as Argentinian uh, identity as somehow a, a world power or certainly a respectable player on the on the world stage, there's no no way this can be underestimated. Iran has called on the Iraqi government to disarm Kurdish groups. The call follows Iranian claims that militia groups in Iraqi Kurdistan have been mounting cross-border attacks, smuggling arms into Iran and inciting unrest. In response, Tehran has launched several airstrikes on Kurdish targets in Iraq. The Iraqi Foreign Minister Fuad Hussein said it is not acceptable to launch attacks on Iran from Iraq, adding that talks with representatives from the Kurdish region are continuing. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Bag Chat. I'm Janice Wong with Danny Gitchings. On today's program, we will look at the government's new youth development blueprint that lays out its policies spanning housing, career opportunities and national education for young Hong Kongers aged between 12 and 39. The blueprint includes more than 160 measures to be rolled out in the next three years aimed at helping over 2 million young people. Some of the more prominent programs include a relaunch of the Starter Home Scheme, the launch of a youth dashboard to better gauge people's views and a new mobile app to give out information on various projects relating to the younger generation. Well, these measures bring hope to the young and empower them to contribute to society as the government envisages. Are they what uh, young people here need? What more can be done to nurture young people? And at 9.15, we'll find out the results of a survey on the, how the eyesight of many students has deteriorated during the pandemic and why many parents aren't doing anything about it. So let us know what you think about these topics. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call, the number there, 233 now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Wallace Lau, the new Youth Commissioner, Rizwan Ola, a member of the Youth Development Commission, and Paul Yip, Professor of Population Health at the University of Hong Kong. Good morning to you all, and uh, thanks for joining us on the program. Um, let's uh, start with you, Mr. Lau. Um, this uh, Youth Development Blueprint is something that uh, many of us have been looking forward to, and uh, we now don't know that. It's, it includes a wide range of measures. Um, what exactly do you think it will achieve? 
Good morning, and thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, the Youth Development Blueprint is the first ever uh, policy document prepared by the uh, SEL government, specific, um, specifically targeted on youth. We hope that um, by means of publishing this document, we'll be able to nurture a new generation of young people with an affection for the country and Hong Kong, and also equip them with global perspective, aspiring mindset, and positive, uh, positive thinking. We also would like to provide an enabling environment for young people to unleash their full potential in society and contribute to Hong Kong, to the country, and also to the world. So in short, we would like to use the uh, youth development blueprints to instill hope to the young people, uh, build up their self-confidence, and uh, we would like to help them pursue their dream. Now, the Commissioner for Youth itself, he, he, that's a, a new post, isn't it? I mean, it's, um, it's mentioned in, in, in the, uh, the report to say that we will designate uh, an official as Commissioner for Youth. The very fact that uh, your, your position exists is, is meant to be, be part of this initiative, right? That's right, that's right. Uh, and, um, you know, by means of setting up this commissioner post, we would like to let the society, especially the young people, know that the government is really serious in um, tackling their problems and uh, supporting them and also help them uh, develop their career and also develop their life. But is, there, well, is it just a name change or more? Or is it just that, I mean, you, you were already, I, I think, if I read this report correctly, you were Deputy Secretary for Home and Youth Affairs, uh, and now you become a Youth Commissioner. Is it just a name change, or does your job does your job actually change? Well, actually, it's a title change as well as a more focused approach in dealing with youth uh, problems and youth development problem. So uh, you can say um, it is, of course, a, a rename of my title, but also it's a an evidence or, or um, at least a um, a stance showing that government is really really serious in handling youth problems. Right, so let's go to Mr. Ola. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good so, it, good morning. Is this a blueprint of what you uh, had expected? Uh, well, uh, yes, uh, because, uh, like, uh, as uh, what our deputy secretary has just mentioned, like, this is the uh, first ever blueprint that was uh, released by the government yesterday. So, in the past, like, I've been a member of the uh, Youth Development Commission for five years, and uh, after 2018, uh, apart from a strategy uh, report that was published uh, in the era of the Commission of Youth, uh, then this is something very concrete which comes with a, you know, a directional approach where, uh, with some measures, that some work has to be achieved. We can see some essence, like uh, we were expecting a lot of uh, organic synergy. Like this has been something that I have been talking all the time how we can get different government departments put their heads together, look at the things that they are doing, look at the resources they have been using, put them together and create some synergy and win more. So, I mean, if we look at the report, I mean, from uh, an objective point of view, like we can see a lot of uh, cross-bureau, cross-sectorial collaboration. You know, uh, this is actually uh, would create a lot of uh, mindset change where we have to look at things from a youth angle when we design things rather than what we think the youth need. And then the third thing, uh, we can also see from the report, the way we look at youth development uh, is different. There are new frontiers where we have new opportunities. That's why on the cover of the report, I mean, if you look at the three words, inspire, support, and embrace, 
these are the three key essence and soul of this blueprint where one government will work together with different bureaus and the community work together and bring and instill hope and materialize those hope of the youth. All right, uh, let us go to uh, Professor Yip. Good morning, Professor Yip. Uh, good morning, Janice. Good morning. So, so when you look at all these measures included in the blueprint, which measure actually uh, stands out uh, the most for you? Um, yes, there is one thing I have a bit of problem with that. <laughs> I think at this moment, I think it is good to see the government, I think they make the commitment, I think, uh, really to involve the young people, I think. Um, but um, what I was a bit, a bit disappointed, I mean, we do not see a really new innovative measure. I mean, how to engage our young people. You know? um, so uh, what we like to see, it is, I think, it is to induce the hope, I think, to our young people. So, I mean, at, at this moment, I think our young people, I think, I think um, without the hope, I think without um, the support, I think um, they would not be able to set up their goals. I mean, then, 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 then I think... Um, that is what our young people need. So, 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 I do hope. I think with the steps, as with the with this blueprint, I really can give a give a roadmap. I think to really to inspire. I think or to or to institute the hope. I mean, among our young people. Well, you you mentioned hope a lot. Why, why why do you say our young people are without hope and that they need hope, Professor? Well, because I mean, what you can see, I mean, in the last three years or so, I think during the COVID, I mean, uh, there's a social movement, I think we can see, I think there's a lot of young people, I think, um, somehow, I think they are uh, a bit disappointed, I mean, with the development in Hong, in Hong Kong, I think, um, so some of them, I think, um, they might uh, choose to leave Hong Kong, I mean, to go to, uh, to, go to other places. And also, um, because of the um, the living courses in Hong Kong is also um, um, have proved to be quite um, unreachable to some of them. So I think um, because of this, I think the external environment and also the, the internal environment as well, I think it has been uh, not a, a very conducive environment. I mean, really to bring the best out of our young people now. All right, Mr. Lau, after listening uh, to uh, what uh, Professor Yip uh, was saying, do you think uh, the, the actual blueprint can uh, help bring the best out of uh, Hong Kong's youth? Well, thank you. Um, and also, I thank um, um, Professor Yip's uh, comment. I uh, hope I fully agree that that's what uh, young people need. And that's why in the blueprint we have designated one chapter that um, uh, talk about hope, uh, instilling hope and fulfilling uh, young people's dreams. Uh, in that chapter, we actually cover um, the young people's most concerned areas, for example, education, uh, employability, uh, career development, and also, if they like, uh, we have innovation and entrepreneurship. And also, uh, uh, as um, um, uh, we have just mentioned, we have started home program relaunch for the young uh, people, and also we are going to expand our youth hostel um, places. So uh, you can say that this chapter has already addressed uh, most of the um, concerns of uh, the young people uh, today. Um, instilling hope is not just, um, um, you know, uh, 
things that we can talk, uh, only talk. We need to do a lot of things to show the young people that Hong Kong still have hope. And that's why we are going to uh, cooperate with all the uh, relevant uh, bureau and also departments. For example, we are going to uh, develop more career uh, uh, planning information uh, of the eight centers that Hong Kong was tasked with under the 14-5 years plan. And also, we are going to promote more uh, opportunity, for example, in the Greater Bay Area, as well as we are going to organize more uh, exchange and internship program, both in the mainland and also to overseas, to let the young people understand that you know Hong Kong has particular advantage uh, in, develop their, in developing their career and also developing their professions. So I would uh, like to say that we are going to do a lot of things to instill hope uh, amongst our young people. And, uh, and Mr. Lau, uh, you just mentioned the uh, Starter Home Scheme. Um, that will be relaunched in the next fiscal year to help uh, young people buy their own flats. I mean, um, will the arrangement be the same as before, where the developers are required to offer the uh, sale of the Starter Home units at uh, 80% of the market price? Well, this scheme is actually um, operated or, or planned by the Development Bureau. And I understand that uh, my colleagues in the Development Bureau is working very hard uh, to sort of uh, review the plan. And hopefully we are going to have the um, projects launched in the coming year, in 2023. So there will be a different arrangement for um, young people? Is that where it will? Uh, well, well uh, we're still uh, reviewing and sort of studying uh, the scheme. And uh, we will announce all the details when the scheme is ready to launch. You also talk about providing more channels for young people to communicate with the government. And then uh, you include the statistics on the number of young people sitting on um, uh, government advisory bodies at the moment, which is very, very, very low. I mean, what are you planning to do about that? Well, uh, first of all, um, we would like uh, our young people to voice out themselves uh, by means of joining the um, government's advisory board. So uh, in the blueprints, uh, we have already um, mentioned that we are going to expand the uh, number of um, advisory and statutory board to invite young people to do self-nomination. So if they are um, interested in the particular policy subjects, they can join uh, the self-nomination scheme and um, you know, participate in the um, government's um, um, mechanism. And also, in, uh, in addition to the central level, we are going to establish uh, some um, committees at the, at, at the um, regional level. For example, we are going to set up two new uh, committees in each uh, district. Uh, one is called um, the um, Social Develop I mean, uh, Community Development and Civic Education uh, uh, Committee, and the other is the um, um, you know the youth. Uh, Activities uh, Program Planning Committee. So um, by involving them in the district level uh, committee, they will be able to directly involve in building their own district. For example, um, well, let's say we have a park in a particular district that we would invite the young people to give suggestions and ideas of how to make it into a uh, you know, young people's park rather than the uh, very, you know, sort of boring park of, um, uh, in, in other districts. So um, um, by means of um, inviting them to participate directly in this district uh, projects, uh, we hope that the um, young people will have more um, sort of a sense of belongings to their own community, their neighborhood, and also by means of contributing their own uh, talents and their own idea, uh, they will be able to build a community 
that um, uh, you know that it's up to their expectation. Um, so, so I mean, uh, we will uh, continue to expand different type of government activities to the um, young um, generations, so that they will have more opportunities uh, to participate directly. Right. And Mr. Lau, like you just mentioned, a lot of the focus in the blueprint has been placed on cultivating a better sense of belonging um, to the country. How important do you think that is when it comes to uh, tackling challenges faced by Hong Kong youth? Well, um, I think um, the um, most important thing is uh, young people have self-confidence and they have confidence in Hong Kong. So in order to help them build up this um, self-confidence, we need to show them and we need to um, prepare them to accept the challenge or face the challenge of uh, the rapidly changing world. And Hong Kong, as we all know, is in a very good position because we have a you know, a huge uh, market and also back- backing from our country. And also, Hong Kong is a very internationalized uh, city, and we have a lot of uh, talents from different parts of the world. So I think um, in the past few years, we are, you know, severely affected by the uh, pandemic. And uh, as we all see, the um, social distancing uh, social distancing measure and also the uh, pandemic itself is uh, going to fade out and I have full confidence that once Hong Kong is back to normal uh, our attractiveness and also the opportunities for young people will be um, um, abundant as compared to other parts of the world and I hope that it I mean this characteristic itself will be able to attract uh, our young people to stay in Hong Kong and also attract uh, those who have left Hong Kong to come back and pursue their own dream here in Hong Kong. Let's follow up on the issue of uh, young people being involved in uh, government advisory bodies with uh, Rizwan Ula, who uh, I, I guess, Rizwan Ula, you, you, you are one of the, these relatively few who, who, are, who, are, young, you, who are actually sitting on um, uh, government bodies. Do, do you ever look around you and think there are not nearly enough people of your generation? Well, I think I would look at it in this way. Uh, there are different roles of uh, participation. I mean, there are different uh, advisory bodies. And uh, if I look at my Youth Development Commission, so uh, there are a lot of youths. But then, of course, uh, there are other other ASBs, which uh, I think the government is uh, going to uh, get more of it. And uh, being an ethnic minority myself, like over the years, I think a few years ago, uh, they set a target. And then we, we are seeing more of our youth uh, getting into the government. And, and I think, uh, you know, like to start off with together, youth at the district level is always a good start because that's relevant to them and they will have a higher sense of ownership and gradually uh, they, they go up. And this is how uh, my, my past 15 years has been. I started off with uh, district level, some working group and gradually have opportunities and I believe with, uh, with this opening up now, with the, with the new two committees, I think there will be more youth coming up and their voices would be heard. Like, uh, if I may add, like, uh, well, well, this, uh, as a member of the Youth Development Commission, like we were actually uh, invited uh, to go to different uh, communities and listen to the youth voices. And I myself, I mean, I, uh, I had the honor and privilege to arrange 10 to 15 sessions where we genuinely listen to the youth and hear what they say and write detailed report to the government. And, uh, and the point I'm happy that 
uh, included in the report, where which uh, reflects some of the youth voices. We should point out, of course, that when we talk about young people here, I think the official definition is is anyone up to the age of thirty nine. I'm not sure if you're re- with your thirty nine, you really think of yourself as a um, uh, young person. But uh, Rishan Ola, do do you find that most of the people who actually get involved in these kind of activities are people in the um, older part of that age group? I mean, the, the mid thirties and so on. When, when, when we when we say youth, we tend to think of people in their twenties, don't we? Uh, well, uh, because there's no. Uh uh, like perception-wise, what we think youth is, and also uh, there's no official definition around yeah, what true. you know the youth age is. And uh, I can, uh, like, if if I may uh, use uh, my general observation, I can see younger people, like, with creative ideas in the meeting. This is uh, what I can tell you. And also, uh, uh, and those who are in the mid thirty, they are young by heart. They still contribute a lot. So this is how I would look at it and uh, credit their effort as well. But of course, more young people bring us more energy and uh, allow us to narrow the generation gap. Uh, what is loud? That's correct, isn't it? That when you talk about young people, you're actually talking about people all the way up to 39, aren't you? Yeah, you're right. Uh, and do you, but I mean, when you talk about the problems that are facing young people, we. We tend to be thinking about really problems of people um, who start in work and early stage of careers in the twenties, aren't they? Well, I, I well, our, my observation is that um, you know, different age group of young people they are facing different problems. Uh, people from, you know, our definition, let's say, is from twelve to thirty-nine, right? From twelve to eighteen, basically, they are students. Yeah. So their most concerned um, uh, problems uh, basically will be education, and from eighteen to like. Um, 22, 23, uh, most of them are in the University of Tertiary Education, so probably they'll start thinking of their career and, and their life planning. And with those people uh, above uh, or over 30, then uh, some of them may be thinking of you know, getting married, setting up their own family, and also even uh, planning to have um, their own kids. So um, the wide spectrum of youth uh, um, covers very wide-ranging uh, problems, and that's why we have divided our blueprint into four chapters uh, it, with a view to address the uh, problems or concern of different age group at their different stage uh, of life. All right. And let's go back to uh, Professor Yip for a moment. Uh, Professor Yip, after listening to what uh, Mr. Lau has been saying about, uh, for example, the start-a-home scheme and uh, uh, about uh, improving channels where where, he, where the government can uh, receive more um, views from the uh, youngsters, uh, how, how effective do you think the overall um, measures in this blueprint will be uh, in addressing challenges faced by the youth population here? Well, I think if they can really... Um Genuinely, I think to restart the conversation with the youth and then get them involved, I think at the district level, and then try to give some ownership um, uh, back to, I mean, to the young people. I think this is a good thing. But I think this um, to increase the representation. I think in this advisory body, it is good. But we also have to examine, I mean, uh, what has been doing before, and is it working well? I think if it's not working well, when you just put a few more people there, it might not um, uh, it might not make much differences. And also, I think uh, when 
we now define the so-called uh, young age, I mean, it's up to 39 now. So I think we are talking about half of the young people that get married, I think, before the age 30 now, I mean, the age. So I think what we really see, you really have a wide spectrum of the people need to be covered. So I think when you can imagine, I mean, for those people, I think, who are at the age of 30 to 39, I mean, they are really facing a completely different ball games. So I think, from the young people. So I think, um, I, I do hope, I think, the government has sufficient battery, I mean, to really, to look after, I think, the, our young people, I think, at really different age. Um, um, uh, it is not a... a in this house, I think what we see now, I think the government have um, come up with this sort of scheme. But at the, at the end, I think the core matter this is how to really, I think, change the mindset of our young people. I think Hong Kong is a place, I think, that they can feel a sense of belonging, with a sense of hope. I think with this sort of measure, if they can implement effectively, yes, I think that, that definitely will help. But at the same time, and how to win the hearts and the minds of young people back, I think it is still a very hard battle. No? Yeah. You sound like you think this is a long-term challenge, Professor Yip. It is a long-term challenge because I think at this moment, I think what we can see, I think for the past, I think, I think the youth work I mean, has not uh, been given sufficient attention. And I think, uh, 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 I do hope, I think the government really put the resources, I think, on the training, on the education, really to prepare our young people, I mean, for a very demanding future. And, right. and, and I think what we see now, it is, I think, I hope the government makes some more specific the commitment, like, for example, Professor Yip, please, uh, please hold your thought there for a moment because uh, we need to take a short break for the news. Uh, we'll, of course, continue our discussion afterwards when we will also be joined by a representative from the Hong Kong Council of Social Service. And Mr. Lau, I know you need to go. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Wallace Lau, the new youth commissioner. And uh, here's a quick look at the weather. Fine and dry with highs of around 20 degrees. Wind moderate to fresh northerlies. And uh, the red fire danger warning is currently in force. At the moment, the temperature reading at the observatory is 16 degrees. Relative humidity, 45%. They are not accepting us. They are completely erasing us. They are doing everything they can to erase women from the society. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Wednesday morning with Danny Gittings and me, Janice Wong. Still with us on the program is Rizvan Ola, a member of the Youth Development Commission, and Paul Yip, a professor of population health at the University of Hong Kong. Also joining us now is Karen Yu, Chief Officer for Children and Youth Service at the Hong Kong Council of Social Service. Good morning, Ms. Yu. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, so first of all, what are the highlights for you from the uh, blueprint? Um, I appreciate the government's formulation of the youth development blueprint because it gives an overview of Hong Kong youth uh, regarding their demography, education, employment, marriage and fertility and housing. 
And I think it also tries to give, uh, provide an enabling environment for youth uh, development. Concrete measures to address the difficulties faced by youth in different life stages are mentioned, say education, employment, social participation, and home ownership. Um, I think the uh, measures is from a wide spectrum. Uh, it uh, can reflect a government's understanding of youth diversity and response to different needs in different stages. Yeah. If you, uh, you said the difficulties the youth uh, face, if you would mm. pick one of those difficulties which you would say is the top priority for the government to address, which one, which one would you, based on your work, which one would you choose as the most important uh, priority? Um, maybe the job opportunities. Uh, and I read from the Brookings, uh, I think the government is not trying only to provide them job opportunities, but she's also promoting their smooth transition from school to workplace to realize their diversified career path. Um, there are a lot of measures mentioned in the Brookings say um, enhancing the life planning and promoting vocational and professional education and training. And internship opportunities or uh, know more about the Great Bay area or supporting entrepreneurship or startup. I think all these can uh, cater to the diversified needs of youth uh, to enter into the job market and develop their own aspirations. Yeah. Right. The, the blueprint also uh, mentions uh, that welfare services will be enhanced to match uh, with uh, youth development, uh, but uh, mm. it didn't really offer much details. What do you right. think needs to be uh, um, done in this area? Uh, yes, not much details were mentioned in the blueprint, but I think uh, the uh, existing subvented uh, welfare services subvented by the government are already in line with the objective mentioned in the blueprint. So I don't think there will be drastic changes to the welfare services. What we need to do is how to uh, improve our service provision uh, efficiently or to use more online means to better engage our youth. Yeah. Uh, Professor Yip, uh, earlier on you were talking about uh, young people emigrating and also uh, in this report, uh, it, one of the things the report makes clear is maybe not on emigration, just talking about the ageing society, that uh, uh, in the coming uh, coming years so there are just going to be fewer young people as a percentage of our society and uh, uh, the younger generation is going to have to take on a greater burden for the elderly. I mean, this, um, it's, how does this factor into our considerations, Professor Yip? I think the trend is worrying because I think, as we can see, I think in the past two or three years or so, not only uh, I think we can see quite a number of people, the young couples and also the young school children, I think they have decided, I think they have uh, to stay back uh, in overseas country after their graduation or something like that. So I think it has made the aging situations more acute. So I think it is... Um, it is very important. It actually it has been quite crucial, I think, in order to, I mean, to, um, to sustain or to keep our young people, I think, healthy and well and with high quality, I think, to support uh, I think the development in Hong Kong. So I think um, we need to rework really harder, I think, to try to really make our young people, I think, to like Hong Kong 
and then um, and and but whatever the uh, grouping now, whatever they're doing is good. But I think we can do better. I think we still have to work an additional miles. I think try to explain to our young people and then try to address their their concern. I mean, for example, I mean they are worried about, I think their freedom of speech. I mean they are worried about, I think the lack of political participation. I think these other things are the, the young people. The aspiration is far more than just this materialistic. I think support. I mean this materialistic support. They aren't important. But at the end of the day, I think our young people now are a bit more sophisticated than before now. So you're saying that materialistic measures really are not enough on their own, uh, because that's well, what what this report is dealing with. I mean, it's not it's not going to deal with political issues or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, we just have to understand our young people in this new millennium, and I do hope I think uh, we should create more channel. I think for them to uh, to. To, to engage them, to understand better. I mean, at this moment, I think it's something that what we think that that's what they need. But I think you can ask the young people. I mean, the young people, they can come back to you. That's not exactly what I want, you know. Uh, Mr. Ula, well, do, you, do you agree with uh, with uh, Professor Yip's view on that? Well, yes, actually, I agree with Like, I have uh, two comments, I mean, uh, like, uh, on the, the very meaningful uh, points that... Uh, Professor has uh, shared. I think uh, first thing. I mean, it's very interesting. You know, uh, like I was, uh, like I had a discussion earlier in another board uh, where we look at the, uh, the the aging population. Like I think, uh, you know, if we look at the uh, the situation of the uh, ethnic minorities in Hong Kong, the trend itself is a reversing trend from the uh, the mainstream trend. Mm. Uh, actually, what we see uh, is we have a lot of ethnic minority youth, like the majority of the EM population are standing at the uh, youth age range. And actually, we need to look at how, I mean, uh, it's mentioned in, in this youth development uh, blueprint uh, in the chapter of empowerment. We need to look at, like, if we have a lot of these youth, how we can get them into the society and how we can make the best out of them while Hong Kong is, you know, facing the aging population uh, in this uh, transient phase. And then the second thing, uh, I agree, uh, when we engage you, uh, we have to use different dynamic and speak in the currency of the youth to engage them. And I'm sure uh, the Bureau or the, the Commissioner will look into this seriously. But at the same time, uh, when we inspire our youth, we need to give them enough knowledge, enough knowledge in the sense that the information, how we use a creative approach, how we use uh, different means and media to get our youth informed. And by this, and only this, our youth will have, you know, uh, an understanding of what's happening and how that will relate to them. And that would inevitably uh, increase their ownership uh, in the place they are living and they would contribute and uh, go for the goals they want and this is uh, my uh, uh, like uh, what i would like to see as well as i mean as a youth uh, worker as well it's very interesting Ula, what you're saying about the demographic trends among ethnic minorities in hong kong are, are different from hong kong as a whole um, and uh, we always talk about an aging population in hong kong and we forget that uh, the different de demographic trends on the ethnic minorities. That, that presumably means in years to come, ethnic minorities, starting from a small base, will be a, um, a larger percentage of the Hong Kong population. Uh, 
like the professor would have knowledge on this. I'm not an expert in this area, but uh, I'm speaking from the experience that uh, you know, like different major companies are looking uh, looking for us, talking to us how we can get more of our EMU in in buses, in airlines, in this and that. So the math, uh, like you, we can see, and also uh, when I go to our gathering, I see more black hair than white hair. So. This is something that we can focus on. Uh, but of course, after maybe some time, then we will also look at the ethnic minority aging issue. But we are like uh, our pacing is a little different from the general pacing. Uh, Professor Yip? Well, I think the ethnic minority is, 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 uh, is a good source of the. Uh, the human resources, I think, in Hong Kong. I think now we see a growing uh, number of the people in our community, and then at the same time, so I think this, we also have to, I think, uh, make, uh, to train them well, I think, to prepare them well, I think, to assimilate it into the local society, you know, and actually, they are part of us, you know, so I think it's really sad. I think if we uh, uh, do not, I think, utilize, I think, or if you do not really make good use of um, uh, this You're saying so. You're saying, but with, with the um, in integrating the ethnic minorities, probably it's not just it's not it is an issue of fairness, but it's not just an issue of fairness. It's also uh, economically beneficial to Hong Kong. In I think definitely. I mean, they are part of us. I think they are they are Hong Kong. Us. I think that's some sort of stigmas. Uh, I, I I think that uh, has to be have to remove in the in the community, and I think we have to invest. I think in the language and the, the skill set, and such that they can be a fully function members. I mean, we have seen a lot of uh, uh, the ethnic minority in our university as well. I mean, they are doing well. They are doing as good or if not better than uh, the local ethnic uh, Chinese uh, population. But, but we just have to open the window wide and big enough, I mean, for them to participate. You know? Karen Yu, how about the issue of ageing population, people you're, you're helping children, young people having to take care of more, more elderly relatives? Yes, the young people is facing a great challenge to take care of their elders. Uh, so uh, I think the grouping needs to give them confidence that they can thrive in Hong Kong to pursue their dreams so they can uh, do their best to contribute to the society. It's a very difficult uh, issue and a big issue to be faced by everyone in the Hong Kong society. And uh, Ms. Yu, uh, in the blueprint, it mentioned uh, strengthening. It mentioned something about uh, strengthening young people's uh, mental health and offer timely uh, support for them. Um, what's your view on that? Do you, do you? I mean, what more do you think uh, can be done in that area? Uh, regarding uh, the blueprints uh, reference to nurturing positive thinking and improving their mental health. And I appreciated uh, government's response uh, to address the needs of young people for happiness. Uh, but we urge the government to step up efforts to reduce the academic pressure on young people to learn. So to prevent the mental health distress among young people and more on the prevention side. And the provision of public service to to tackle the mental health uh, problems by, uh, faced by young people is 
uh, in that court. Uh, we need to face uh, uh, cha- uh, this challenge. Uh, we recommend uh, we can uh, give more consideration uh, to provide a service uh, in the community level and using online means instead of just relying on the public hospital. That will be more youth-friendly for uh, the youth to get uh, the service. Yeah. Okay, and uh, looking into the uh, the long term, I mean, for Hong Kong's young generation, 10, 20 years' time, um, where, where do you hope they will be, um, Karen, you? Uh, sorry, pardon? Just saying, you're, what, where, where would you hope for the young people you're, hope, you're helping now that 10, 20 years' time, they, they will still be in Hong Kong, in, uh, in Greater Bay Area, contributing to development? Uh, the Great Bay area will be a choice for uh, some of the young people who like to uh, explore their aspiration in uh, mainland China. But uh, if, uh, I think uh, uh, we need to provide a different and a spectrum of choices for young people. Uh, for the welfare sector, we are particularly um, uh, concerned about those from the disadvantaged background. Uh, from the blueprint, uh, uh, we wish to see a more concrete proposal on how we can further support young people with say, uh, disability or special education needs. Uh, but it is not uh, much uh, mentioned in the blueprint. Yeah. All right, uh, Miss Yu, we'll uh, have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Karen Yu, Chief Officer for Children and Youth Service at the Hong Kong Council of Social Service. Many thanks also to Paul Yip, Professor of Population Health at the University of Hong Kong, and Rizvan Ulla, a member of the Youth Development Commission. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88266 and have your say. It's now coming up to 18 minutes past nine and it's time to move on to our next topic. And it's about a new Chinese university survey that shows that the eyesight of many students have deteriorated during the pandemic. But many parents aren't doing anything about it. To tell us more, we're joined on the line now by Jason Yam, an associate professor at the university. Good morning, Professor Yam. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, now, before you tell us why many parents are not doing anything about their children's deteriorating eyesight, can you um, first tell us more about your survey's findings? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, first, uh, number one, uh, the survey was conducted by uh, the DHK Data and Research Center by Professor Hauke Tai. And I'm glad to share the data on behalf of him on this part. So the survey was conducted in June 2021 in 108 primary schools and 103 secondary schools and involving about uh, 6,000 primary three pupils, 4,000 primary six pupils and uh, 6,000 secondary three pupils and uh, and their parents and also and uh, teachers uh, who are teaching them. And the result shows that, number one, uh, many pupils are affected by short-sightedness, myopia. About 28% in primary three, 50% in primary six, and uh, 66% in secondary three. And we also noticed that the uh, two, uh, parents of uh, these children, the younger children, have more myopia than the parents of uh, uh, older children. And also, uh, uh, in general, uh, in addition to the uh, myopia, there's also other disorders such as uh, asthmatism, hyperopia, trabismus. Overall, 
for children, for pupils having visual problems, for primary three is about 50%, for primary six is about uh, 60%, and primary and secondary uh, three is about 75% overall. And uh, we also noticed that uh, the uh, academic higher achiever will be associated with uh, more short-sightedness. And uh, so this is uh, the the finding that uh, of the, the survey conducted by Professor Howe. Academic high achievers are associated with more short-sightedness. Well, they, they, they work harder on their computers, and so uh, that's why the problem becomes even more serious. Is, is, is that the conclusion? Oh, yes. Uh, this is in general, uh, the general observation uh, in the mouth, in short-sightedness. Uh, that is very true that for for those who are working harder on more near work, and uh, uh, this will uh, be uh, associated with more short-sightedness. So for those... Probably for those uh, higher grade uh, academic results, uh, they are working harder and so they are using more near work for, for them, which is of course good to them. But uh, uh, on the other hand, uh, the short sightedness will be higher, reflecting uh, in this grade. That puts a different picture on the warnings that we as parents always give to our children. I mean, we all, all parents, we always tell our children they're playing computer games and the computer games are going to damage their eyesight. But it um, seems to be suggesting actually the real damage is coming from studying. No, I, I think the focus is not on this part. So the focus is that, number one, uh, uh, primary three students had already 30%. And primary tech students at fifty percent, and also the uh, uh, secondary three students at fifty six percent, and we can see that the trend is uh, increasing. Okay, with the higher grade students, they have a higher, much higher rate of myopia. And the point is, uh, I, I would like to highlight that myopia, short sightedness, is not just wearing glasses. It is uh, uh, reflecting the eyeball is getting longer and longer. And therefore, there is a significant higher risk of getting uh, complications in future if the if the child is getting myopia and high myopia, and this is irreversible. Well, irreversible kind of... meaning that nothing that can be done to reverse it. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though you have uh, reflective surgery in future, you do not need to wear glasses, but you cannot prevent the future complications. What kind of complications are you talking about? The complications, uh, you can imagine the eye is just like a, a camera. So the, there is a film uh, in the camera, it's called the retina. So when the eyeball is getting longer and longer, number one, the risk of getting myopic degeneration is 855-fold increase in a, high, in a person with high myopia comparing the person without myopia. And also because the eyeball is getting longer, so it's stretched, so there's a risk of retinal detachment. The risk is 12 times higher. And also the glaucoma is also three times higher and cancer is five times higher. So these are uh, um, uh, very important complications that we need to be aware and need to be uh, 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 early to tackle it with patients, with uh, children, high myopia and developing in future. All right. And one of the... Uh uh, findings that I found uh, quite uh, uh, interesting was what was what I mentioned at the beginning that uh, uh, many students seem to have deteriorating eyesight, but uh, the parents are not doing anything about it. Did you did you find out why? Um, that is according to the survey uh, uh, to that uh, they may not have full awareness. So that's why it's important that we share the data in 
in uh, in the on the radio in your in your platform that you uh, alert the parents that in fact the fishing is very important and sometimes parents may not be aware that in fact myopia can lead to uh, 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 future complications. Some of them may just think that it may be uh, very guarded, but uh, I would like to highlight the fact that it will lead to future complications that we need to tackle it. We need to uh, be aware of it. What well, what is the uh, as parents when we we're watching it? What is the most dangerous age um, for loss or for deterioration in eyesight? What what particular age range should we be particularly careful with our children at? This is an extremely important and uh, yeah, yeah, question. Thank you for that. Uh, in fact, uh, in Hong Kong, in Chinese children, the on, on the earlier onset of myopia, the faster the progression and the higher risk of developing high myopia in future. In, in Hong Kong, some of the children develop myopia at the age of four, mm. and then it progressed, progressed, and progressed to the age of 12 to 14, and then it gets slower. So usually after form two, form three, usually the myopia progression becomes a bit slower, and then till the age of 18 to 20. So is so that you? Yeah, sorry, go on. So the focus of uh, preventing or detecting myopia is the age of four to 12, I would say. If you can stop or you stop or slow the deterioration at a young age, then you're going to be doing much more for your children than if you, uh, you're you trying to act when they're already 10 or 11, right? That's the... Yes, exactly. That, that is exactly. If you become a young adult, that's, there's no way that you can do anything to prevent malware because it, to, to prevent the progression because it's not progressing anymore uh, or relatively progressing relatively slower. And also, the eyeball has become elongated already, so we need to act early. And you're recommending that uh, kids spend at least two hours daily or 14 hours weekly outdoors. Do you, do you want to explain a bit more? I mean, that's a bit difficult sometimes during lockdowns and when we when we're detected with COVID, but do you want to explain the importance of that? Yes, uh, we also noticed that because of uh, the COVID, it has uh, significantly aggravating the, the condition of the children's myopia mainly because number one is the, the decrease in the outdoor time and number two is increase in the use of electronic devices. So um, uh, very thankfully and hopefully now with the uh, loosening of the restriction of the uh, COVID-19, uh, we encourage uh, family, encourage students to have two hours per day and sometimes it will be difficult for two hours per day and then we cumulative 14 hours per week. Because the more outdoor time, and uh, then you receive the outdoor light, the daylight, you can uh, increase the eyeball secretion of the dopamine. The dopamine it can inhibit the eyeball elongation. So it can help to prevent or it can help to slow down the myopia progression. It is a very good, important lifestyle changes. Number two is uh, to have a good reading habit, to establish a good reading habit. Number one, never read too, uh, too long. After 30 minutes for all pupils, for all students, they need to look into the far distance for and take a break. And then uh, not too close, everyone, the reading distance at least 30 centimeters. Number three, and uh, not too dim. Uh, we encourage students during reading, they must have two, two lamps, the, the table lamp and also the room light, so that they can have a, a, uh, enough lighting environment so to protect the eye. So when you talk about uh, reading, uh, a lot of um, quite quite often uh, students actually uh, or kids they do it at school. So what sort of role do you think schools uh, need to play in uh, in this uh, prevention? 
Uh, number one, uh, I would say uh, face-to-face physical learning is uh, is already much better. So I'm very, uh, we are very glad that you have resumed the face-to-face uh, uh, physical learning. And uh, the, the lighting environment in the uh, classroom is also important. And also during the recess time, I would say uh, if possible, encourage the students to go outdoor, not to stay in the indoor, because the more outdoor time is uh, better. And also the teachers are the one of the caretakers of the uh, of the pupils, so it would be great if uh, they will have the more awareness so that they can also help to identify the problem and uh, teach the students. And just to be clear here, we're not just talking about electronic devices. So we often think electronic devices are the, the, the main reason for children's deteriorating eyesight. You're talking about reading generally, even if it's reading the old-fashioned way, reading, reading uh, uh, hard copy books. Yes, exactly. You are, you are very, very right. But however, the, the electronic devices are usually a more kind of... So in fact, if you read the same amount of time on the both and also electronic devices, it may be the same. But however, during the COVID, the use of the electronic devices or, uh, and then it will also lead to a longer reading time and also a more prolonged reading, also sometimes closer uh, distance. So uh, I would, in general, you are very right that it is the reading, the, the near work causes. But because of the emergence of the electronic devices, including computer, uh, the TV, uh, video games, etc., these are also very need to use it properly so that the children can establish a good reading habit. All right, uh, Professor Yam, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Jason Yam, an associate professor from the Chinese University. Many thanks also to uh, you who commented or emailed us today, and of course to you, Danny, and our producer, Yuki. Now here's the weather, fine and dry, with a top temperature of around 20 degrees, winds moderate to fresh northerlies, and the outlook staying fine and dry over the next couple of days. Right now it's 17 degrees, relative humidity 43%. The primary healthcare blueprint has been launched. The government is devoted to foster disease prevention and early treatment. Connecting community healthcare services, district health centers across the 18 districts help you live a healthy life and be aware of health risks early. The blueprint encourages the family doctor for all concept to keep track of your health, manage chronic diseases and avoid complications. Let you enjoy a healthier and quality life. Visit primaryhealthcare.gov.hk to learn more. It's 9.30, the news with Tom Warden. The Commissioner for Youth, Wallace Lau, says he hopes the SAR's first-ever youth blueprint will lift the aspirations of young people and give them a positive mindset to contribute to Hong Kong, the nation, and the world. The blueprint, announced yesterday, includes measures and performance indicators to nurture younger generations. The Drug Enforcement Agency in the United States say that this year they have seized enough of the man-made opioid fentanyl to kill every American. The DEA says its officers found the equivalent of nearly $400 million